1: I don't think it would be a huge stretch to say that Acts 10 is the most important chapter in the book of Acts. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that Acts 10 narrates the most significant events in Christian history since the discovery of the empty tomb. Up until this point, the Christian movement has been a movement of Jews to Jews and to half-Jews, if we may so characterize the Samaritans. But Cornelius is not a Jew. He's not a half-Jew. He's not a proselyte, a converted Jew. He is no kind of Jew. And yet in this chapter, we're going to see him converted, filled with the Holy Spirit, and baptized into membership in the Christian church. This is a game changer. And after this, nothing will ever be the same. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared in terror at him and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, To understand the story, we need to understand who Cornelius is. He is a Roman, obviously. He's a soldier. A centurion was a soldier in charge of 100 other soldiers, what we would call today a captain. He was also obviously a good man and a good father. His whole household was involved in charity and prayer, but he was not a Jew. He was a God-fearer, but not a Jew, not a proselyte. People who were not ethnically Jewish, could convert to Judaism and undergo circumcision. But we know that Cornelius hadn't done that. We know, first of all, because if he had, then this story wouldn't be very interesting and it wouldn't be given two whole chapters of real estate in the middle of Luke's account. But we also know it from chapter 11, verse 3, wherein Peter is asked by the church to respond to the report that he went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So Cornelius was an uncircumcised man. He was not a Jew. Nevertheless, God chooses Cornelius to be the first full Gentile convert in the Christian church. To accomplish this, he gives Cornelius a vision. And in the vision, he tells him to send for Peter, who will more fully explain the way of salvation to him. And boy, this sounds for all the world like so many of those conversion stories of Muslim background people that we've been hearing about for the last several years. Can God use a vision to move someone in the direction of salvation? I get asked that question all the time. People hear those stories of Muslim folks coming to Christ and they ask that question. And I would just say, maybe we shouldn't even be asking that question after reading the story. The answer to that question has to be yes. Because that's exactly what we see in the story. So Cornelius sends his servants to bring the apostle Peter to his house. Verse 9 says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Just for reference sake, that'd be about noon. The first hour of the day is what we call 6 a.m. sunrise. So the sixth hour would be about what we call noon. Verse 10, And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Only the Apostle Peter would ever respond to a direct command from God by saying, by no means. This is now the third time he has done that in the New Testament. He did it in Mark 8 when Jesus started talking about the necessity of his suffering and dying on the cross. He did it in John 13 when Jesus said that he was going to wash Peter's feet. Praise the Lord for the Apostle Peter. Without him, I think we would all feel entirely inadequate. Thankfully, the Lord is very patient. Verse 15 says, And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So obviously Peter did not understand the dream in terms of all its various applications and implications, but he understood enough. He understood that something had changed and that this change now permitted him to disregard the Jewish food laws that would have otherwise precluded Peter from going to the house of Cornelius to share the gospel. That's about all he has figured out at this point in the story. Of course, he'll put some other pieces together when he sees how the Spirit blesses the coming missionary endeavor, and he will put some more pieces together as he talks this through with the home church upon his return. And then there will be further reflections at their Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And of course, the church will be wrestling with this throughout the entirety of the New Testament era. This isn't the end of the story. It is just the beginning. So we have to be careful not to assume too much understanding in Peter at this point. We've been thinking about this dream for 2,000 years. Peter is still thinking about it as he's walking to Caesarea. What David Peterson says here reflects the 2,000 years of thought and reflection that we've enjoyed. It's, It's worth reading as long as you don't assume that Peter had this figured out at this point in time. Peterson says here, The threefold vision given to Peter offers a new perspective on the way in which Scripture is to be interpreted and the gospel is to be preached. The provisions of the Mosaic law for cleansing and sanctification are fulfilled in Christ. And thus, the cultic restrictions excluding Gentiles from the community of God's people are no longer applicable. Closed quote. Now, we know that Peter wasn't all the way there yet. He, he had to have a run-in with the Apostle Paul in Galatia before everything would fall into place here. But I think Peterson is right in telling us what this means however much of it Peter understood at the time. Verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, you your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I send for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, let's just pause here. Peter isn't saying that the gates of heaven are now wide open and anyone who fears God in any way and behaves in a moral or admirable way is to be considered saved. If he is saying that, we have a huge problem because that doesn't go with anything else that is said in the rest of the New Testament. Rather, what he seems to be saying is that God is not showing partiality to any particular people with respect to the blessings of the gospel the gospel is to be taken to all people Jews and Gentiles alike. I Howard Marshall puts it well when he says this does not mean that salvation is possible apart from the atonement wrought by Jesus Christ, but rather that on the basis of his death and resurrection the gospel is offered to all people who are willing to receive it and recognize their need of it. closed quote. verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So, Peter preaches the basic facts of our redemption. He talks about the perfect life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, the victorious resurrection of Jesus, and the coming future judgment of Jesus. And he says that it is through faith in Jesus that people may be forgiven of their sins. And as they were hearing that, the Holy Spirit fell on those who believed before they were even baptized. In fact, I think you could say, so that they would be baptized. The point of this unusual sequence seems to be to convince Peter that these people have been accepted by God and therefore must be accepted into the church. The message seems to be that the church must never be more discriminating than God himself. God does something very unusual here. He repeats the phenomenon associated with the day of Pentecost. Luke has not mentioned people speaking in tongues when they got saved for several chapters now. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying that it hasn't been mentioned. It obviously wasn't the focus. Luke didn't say anything about the Samaritans speaking in tongues. He he didn't say anything about Paul speaking in tongues when the scales fell off his eyes. He, He didn't say that Tabitha was a great tongue speaker. It hasn't been mentioned at all in any way since the day of Pentecost. So why is it coming back here at this particular moment in space and time? I think the message is pretty obvious. The Holy Spirit wants it to be very clear that these Gentiles are not to be treated as second-class citizens in the church of Jesus Christ. They are every bit as saved, every bit as accepted, every bit as blessed, and every bit as equipped as any Jewish other. That seems to be the point. Spirit is speaking to Peter and showing Peter the one who was in some special way supposed to be binding and loosening, opening and closing, showing Peter that these Gentile Christians have been given the full blessing of salvation despite that they are not Jews. Despite that they don't eat kosher and they have not been circumcised and they they might even have been wearing polyester pants and eating a hot dog at the time, they are not under the law. And yet they are receiving the Spirit. Nobody had ever seen that before. Nobody had ever thought that through. So God is going slow and he's making sure that Peter doesn't miss it. Peter needs to understand this because Peter will have to explain this and advocate for this to the rest of the church gathered in Jerusalem and hear him reports of this new work of the Spirit. And that is what we see him doing in the very next
0: chapter of the book of Acts. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word.